Hello, and welcome to episode 81 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, January 6th, 2022. Ooh, I gotta change that in my notes. Thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, I forgot to change that in my notes, as I said. A little confusing. It's like when we used to write checks. Oh my gosh. I still write checks occasionally. I do too, just to the school though. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Totally. All right. Well, it has been a month since we recorded, so I have lots of things to talk about. I imagine you do too. I think it will be hard to remember the stuff that I read right, bef- mm. right when we took our break. True. But I'm going to do my best. Okay. All right, so we should get started. So we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bonus on the horizon, which is where we talk about our goals, how we did last year, which will be very short. Yes. (laughs) And how... Thank you. (laughs) What we are looking forward to trying this upcoming year. That I'm excited to share. Yeah. So on the needles... Good news, I have lots of new projects that you haven't heard about because they just happened during the break. Lots of finished objects. Bad news, I have not finished either sweater yet, so you guys are still going to have to hear about that for a while longer. So sorry. I'm excited for it. But I have been working on both sweaters because I did finish up a whole bunch of Christmas knitting, and then I was like, hey, I should work on these sweaters. So I did a little bit more work on the newspaper pullover, which is the brioche knitting one by Hohi Locatelli in the gray and the white. So I've gotten a little more progress on the first sleeve. So if I just sit down and focus on it, it should happen eventually, soon, hopefully. And then I did a little bit more work on Simon's Hide and Peak slash Rick Rack sweater by Maxim Sear, because that is still just endless knitting of charcoal yarn, which was really helpful to have ready to go because we'd been watching a lot of TV during the break. The kids were home and we did our whole Lord of the Rings marathon. We did we did a Hobbit marathon as well. Well, you can't yeah. do Lord of the Rings without the Hobbit. You can, well, but you shouldn't. Really, though? I don't know. Yeah, kid, we're yeah. pretty firm about that. Okay. We have never... This is our first time doing the Hobbit marathon. Oh. We have done Lord of the Rings for years and years. Hobbit is a new addition. So our rule with the with the Hobbit Lord of the Rings was that you couldn't see the movie until you'd read the books. And we mm. went away to dinner one night and Nathan tricked the babysitter into letting him watch Lord of the Rings even though we were still reading The Hobbit out loud. And so he watched his like it's not R-rated, is it? No, I think they're all PG-13. I think they're all PG-13, but they're pretty violent. The extended is- editions are R because of Extra violence, I think. Right. This is like 10 years ago. So he was 10 or, well, no, he was seven, seven or eight at the time. Yeah. Tricked the babysitter into letting him. It's, it's his, it was his first real like renegade (laughs) move. He has since made several other ones, several other renegade moves. So, yeah. Yeah. We took our six-year-old to see the the Hobbit and I was like, (gasps) what were we thinking? Oh my gosh. Bad parenting, but he seems to have turned out okay. And now, although he does love those movies, so. Anyway, that was helpful for the knitting. 
Other things that I worked on, I realized, because I had, I had talked about, I had all of these Advent projects and things I wanted to do, and those started off okay. And then I realized I had gift knitting that I wanted to get done. <laughs> and at some point, I actually had to do the gift knitting. Otherwise, the gifts would not be available to be given. So I had to kind of stop all my Advent stuff and just focus on the gift knitting. So the first one was the Swing Left Socks by Megan Williams. Um, so those I had started in October. I had great plans for them to be done and they weren't um but i did get them done and that yarn was the three irish girls adorn sock in bridget which i've had in my stash since 2010 so I was very pleased to get that done beautiful mostly blue with like green and purple speckles and the pattern was really cool it uses slip stitches to make diagonals across the front of the socks that's the swing swing left part and they turned out really nice you know, just getting it, focusing on a project again, we'll get it finished. Um, so those went to my sister for Christmas and I think she liked them. I don't know. I liked them. I was happy that I gave them to her. They seemed comfy and cozy. That, that adorn sock is one of my favorite bases. Um, I haven't used it as much, but I love, love that base. Then I did a gnome for my aunt. I have, this will be the third one that I've made for her and I'm doing them in the local sports team colors. So this was a warrior's gnome. Fun. Super cute. I used the Adventure Gnome by Sarah Shira, which was her December mystery knit-along gnome from last year, because his body is super round-shaped. Most of them are oblong, and this one is round like a basketball, because the warriors are the basketball team. The yarn was from Emma's Yarns, and I originally had ordered a set of her Perfect Smalls in the Harbor colorway. So it was two shades of blue and a yellow and a white, and the warriors are blue and yellow, more or less. So I thought that would be good, but the col the blues turned out to be more teal, mm. and I couldn't I couldn't make it work. I kept knitting it. I'm like, these are sharks colors. These are not warriors colors. <laughs> I need to save these for next year because she already has a 49ers gnome and a giant's gnome. So I went through my stash because I was pretty sure I had some like bright royal warriors blue out there, and. I found not what I was expecting, but a skein of blue cotton fingering weight yarn. So I said, okay, sure. And it worked out great. So the hat was in a blue and white stripe. The body is yellow and he has a little black belt. The arms were, I think they're blue and yellow striped. He has a cute beard. He had, oh, he has legs too with little pointy toed boots. Super cute. So that was fun. That one got done. He wasn't the one with the backpack, right? No. Okay, sorry. Different one. Yeah. That's this year's December mystery gnome. There's so many gnomes. I did three gnomes this month, people. Um, so then I had the gnome that I wanted to make for my mom because I had made her a Christmas gnome last year and I decided I wanted to do it again this year. So the gnome I had done this fall, the Leave Gnome Stone Unturned, also by Sarah Shira. Basically all the gnomes I do are by her. Imagine landscapes. Check them out. She's doing a whole year of gnomes thing this year, which I will will sort of participate in, but not in any organized fashion. Anyway, you can listen to her podcast if you want more information about that. So the one that she had in the fall had the very pointy hat with like a long wraparound eye cord. It was supposed to look like ice cream, but someone had done it in green and it looked like a tree. So I've been planning to do one for my mom. It's like, let's make it a Christmas tree. So I found some Christmas tree green yarn and I put beads into it. And then when I was doing the I-cord, which you do like 20 inches of I-cord off the top and then aye, wrap aye, it around. Aye. 
Which, yeah, it was less annoying when I knew it was coming and I could like continue. Um, I put in a strand of silver metallic embroidery floss. So it was like tinsel. tinsel. It looked, <laughs> I have to say, it is one of my most favorite things that I have made this year. It turned out just like I wanted. I was super excited. So then I did his body in a Christmassy red. The original one had braids. I decided, meh, I want, I want a beard. So I did a beard. I did do, um, this gnome comes with gloves, little, or mittened hands. So that turned out really cute. So I was really pleased with that one as well. Very Christmassy, very cute. And that one went to my mom. Um, and that was all leftover yarn. So that was pretty exciting as well. I mean, it's a gnome. It's not a ton of leftover yarn, <laughs> but they were from sock skates. So the red is pretty much gone now. So that was, that was satisfying. Um, and then, so then that was all the gift knitting. So then I could get back to my December mystery gnome. And that is the one with the backpack. So I think I had talked about it. Well, I don't know if Because we didn't know it was a backpack. Right. Right. We didn't know it was a backpack, but yeah. you showed it to me after our last episode. Oh, right. And we couldn't figure out what it was. And I thought maybe he was sitting and that was like yeah. his shorts. Like he had oh, lederhosen right. or something. <laughs> yeah. So we weren't sure what it was going to be. Yes. So it was very mysterious. And then we got to, I don't know, like two thirds of the way through the month. And we were done knitting the first gnome. It was very cute. Very, fairly standard. He had a cute hat with a little tassel. But there was still all this time left in the knit along. And you didn't know, you still didn't know what this red box thing that you had made was. So it turns out it's a backpack. And then you made a little baby gnome to go in the backpack. <laughs> ridiculously cute. And this gnome has a pocket on their hat. And then you could put like a button. If you bought the whole loopy you kit to go with the, the knit along, I think it came with a button. So a lot of people went through their button stashes. You could do embroidery on there. Um, there's a whole North Star story going on with this. So people did stars and diamonds and Apparently someone did like a taco in the pot, like embroidered a taco on there. I'm not quite sure. I haven't seen that picture, but it sounds adorable. So I was going through my stash. I was hoping I'd find like a sparkly star kind of button, but I found a little owl. It looked so cute. I had bought it for one of the baby sweaters that I had done and I ended up not using it. And it was a little brown one. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. But then I put it on there. I was like, oh, it looks so cute. So it's not super Christmassy, but it's woodland and gnomey. Oh. And yeah, so I was super pleased. So that was fun. And that yarn, I also bought a kit for that one because I just totally wanted to destroy my my more out than in yarn <laughs> goals this year. And that definitely helped. Um, so that kit was the legal tender combo. It had two greens a light and a dark, and then a red and a white. So very Christmassy. And Legal Tender is the name of one of the greens. So not a Christmassy That's a good name, name for yeah. green. The other one is it's not easy being green. And the red, the red was stiletto. Ooh. Oh, and the white is not a plain white. It's white with red and green speckles. So it looks slightly odd on the beard, but not too bad. Like he's got uh, cookie crumbs. Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. like that. So it was cute. So I was very pleased with that. That one is done. And then I decided I wanted to finish up my Skyline Wrap by Helen Stewart, which I was making using the Knit Style Yarns Sweet Christmas Minis Kit that I had won. And so that was 12 mini skeins, all in different colors. I keep saying it's really bright, but there's also a lot of pastels. So it's, it's 
it's really interesting color combination that I would obviously never have picked on my own, but I love it so much. It is so bright and cheerful. Some of the squares look sort of odd on their own, or like the colors right next to each other don't match, but the whole thing I think just looks really, really fun. The pattern was very easy. Helen Stewart, the designer, does a knit vent collection every year. So she starts like the middle of November and the idea is that it's for gift knitting. So they're fairly easy projects, quick knitting. And then she usually has one that's designed for mini skeins. So this was designed for 24. I only had 12. So I had to do some finagling and I ended up with quite a bit left over. So I might do a hat or something like a, a long sloopy hat, the leftovers, but it was a pretty easy knit. So it was mostly chevrons, like it'd be two color chevron. And then you start over with two more colors. Um, some of the chevrons were lace, some were just regular make ones. And then every couple of squares would be a slip stitch pattern. And then um, ribbing at the ends. And the whole thing had a nice I-cord edging, which you do as you're knitting. So it was good. And I actually managed to weave in my ends as I was knitting it. That's so, so good. I got to the end and I didn't have really anything to do except block it which I did. So yeah, so I was really That's excited really about satisfying. that. Yeah. So I got something finished. That was nice. A big, pretty big something. Yeah. Finished. So that was good. And then I also had, I am in baby sweater land right now, which is why I haven't been working on my other sweaters so much. I had two nephews, great nephews, whew, born in the past month. So the first one, gosh, I'm on page two already of my notes. And the first one got a Skyscrapa sweater by Madeline Linderstam. The mom is an architect, so I wanted something kind of architectural. So this one has kind of a solid top part of the sweater, and I used Nitpick Swish Decay in Dusk, which is this gorgeous dark blue and is super soft. And then you start doing a two by two rib after you separate for the arms and you switch the colors. So there's like four contrast colors, okay, which was great for using up little little bits and pieces of yarn. And then you do this kind of the same thing on the arm. So it looks, I guess it's supposed to look like skyscrapers. It looks architectural. It was a fun knit. It certainly made things go quickly because you would do six rows of the two by two in one color, and then you switch out one of the colors and switch out another color. And you end up back with your original blue and whatever color four and a little bit of ribbing. So it went super quick. And it looks really cute. So now I just have to go to the post office. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully I will get that done because I did make it in a small size for the baby to wear <laughs> kind of now during the winter. And then the other one, just born, same birthday as my big kid. So that's kind of fun. So I probably Aww. won't forget their birthday. This one I am knitting Anchor's shirt. It's a pullover. I don't know why it's called a shirt by Petite Knit. And I ordered some nitpick stroll tweed in barn door heather. So that's this really cool dark red with the little heathery blips in it. That's the cardigan that I'm interested yes, in. Yes, I think that was how I found it. Oh, um, good. So this is just a pullover for, and I guess, I don't know if it's in a, if it has grown up sizes or if this is like the baby one. There's a pullover and a cardigan for adults. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so then is that I, what you mean? Yeah, I don't know if this has all the adult sizes or if this is just for the babies. If like there's multiple patterns. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, so I have the baby version pullover. It's really cute. Very easy knit. The yarn is super soft. I'm very much enjoying it. Starts off with a yoke of 
one by one ribbing and then you've shifted a little and you're increasing it. So it looks very cool. And Excellent. Hopefully that'll be done soon. Then I can get back to my sweater. Yeah, so that is it. So I really did not get much work done on my Zemi's Advent Cowl or my Helix Cowl. Those hopefully I will get to at some point. But I did a lot of exciting things in my knitting. I'll say. How was the easel? Well, I did some sewing. Ooh, so fun. we're shifting needles. Okay. My friend Kelly was here for a big chunk of December. And one thing we always get, what's the nice way to say, like suckered into. <laughs> it's easy for me to get uh, enthusiastic about a project that she would really like, especially if it entails a visit to the fabric store. So Kelly lives in Boston where it is chilly at bit. times. And her sister is in Connecticut, where it's also chilly at times. Last time she visited, I made some really simple lap throws because they were both working remotely and chilly in their little workspaces that were like tucked away in the house. And I just wrong side to wrong side, stitch around the edge like a piece of velvet and a piece of, I don't know, some kind of like woven cloth that I had. Turned it inside out and that was it. This time we upgraded a little bit and I did more of a a blanket border. You know how blankets have like an edge, a proper edging. We found a piece of fabric that was knitted, a knitted fabric, super beautiful. It almost looked like a brocade but it was all knitted, which meant that it was super stretchy. <laughs> and so that one, we didn't back because the backside is knitted too, and it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I just trimmed the edge out with some velvet, mm-hmm. and that was fun. And then I did another one that was velvet on one side and like a pretty printed fabric on the other, and I did a silky border. Mm-hmm around that one and I made green pom-poms with some yarn from 2010 although I didn't make (laughs) note of what kind it was it was like some beautiful alpaca that I had in the box well I made too big of a pom-pom because it went through a skein and a half of (gasps) yarn how like, big was the pom-pom? Like this Whoa. big. Like You great, do put a lot fruit. of yarn in your pom-poms. I do. I like them really squidgy. Yeah. And in order to hold their own, the velvet was this brocade, stitched brocade, brown field with like all different colors in it. And then the other side, oh, it was a, it was a plain wool, like you would make um, an athletic shirt with. And it had a little bit of a stretch. And then green satin on the border. Super cute. And then the pom-poms. Maybe it was pink satin. Can't remember now. And I think there's one more that I'm forgetting about that we we squeezed into that little sewing session. So that was like leading right up to Christmas. On the easel was chock-a-block with calendar stuff. I made a calendar for 2022, which is all different animals and things mostly wild animals and weird, like, human things. I sent some out to friends and family, and I sold out the rest, which I'm really happy about. I think I have, like, one or two extra that are for my records, you know, which means that I painted 200 
hand-painted oh, herons for the on the envelope. And I have to say, the f- this is the hardest envelope painting gig that I've ever derived for myself. When I was doing chapbooks, I had like a little acorn and then I had a little mushroom. And then last year I had the red pencil. Well, the, the bird was really hard. And the first 75, every single one looks different. And then the next 25, I didn't really love. They, they changed and I just, it took me a really long time to get in the groove of how I wanted that bird to look. And now they all look the same and I wish I could go back to them looking different. <sighs> a little bit of a, a, an emotional paint roller coaster <laughs> on the herons. I think it was slightly too complicated of a project for the envelopes. But they're done, and they're all at their respective homes now, hopefully. I think there's still some stragglers trying to make their way to Canada. Mm. And I just thank everyone who ordered one and made the project possible, and it was really satisfying. So the calendars were a huge push right up until New Year's Day. And I had decided going into it that I was that I'm going to tell the story of each main or well, all of the images really on the first of the month. So I, saw I can you did the January one. Yeah. So which was really cool. That I'm just doing on Instagram. So if people want to see the calendar stories, you can go there on the first. And I I already wrote like the first six months of them. That's on the Courtney's. Yeah. Um, Courtney SF. I just thought I, I got worried I might forget the story, so I wrote them all down, or at least the first batch. So that was the calendar stuff. And then I don't know if I should chat about this now or in the goals, but I'm doing some still life and some landscape work. And I think I'll tell you more about that in our On the Horizon. Okay. I'll save it. All right. So on the table. On the table. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> for all that it's been a month, there was not a lot of interesting cooking going on. Same. Okay. I feel better. I'm really glad to hear that. I was that. like, oh, I got I to gotta cook something good tonight because I have nothing to talk about. It was all very, like we did a lot of ordering. So I was like, I'm on vacation. Gosh darn it. And Christmas was just a production, but like a production <laughs> that I knew what it was going to be. Yeah, and then just like lots of what do I have in the fridge kind of meals that weren't terribly interesting. You know, yeah. They were tasty, but they weren't any. It was just like cook some vegetables, cook some rice. Just feed these sauce. people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I did think it was interesting. Like Christmas and Christmas Eve for us is mapped out. It's been the same for years. We know what it's going to be. There's no changes. There was a little bit of change, actually. The lobster feast is evolving. Because my brother-in-law decided this year that he does not actually like lobsters. And he's willing to go with that. And he's like, I'm not eating lobster. I was like, okay, then you're having pizza Chicken with the nuggets. kids. Pizza <laughs> with the kids. So the, so one of my kids and both my nephews, they also don't like lobster. So for a long time, they were having French bread pizza because I never serve it. So I would just go to Safeway, get some Stouffer's French bread pizza. Oh my gosh. And they were super happy because they never ate it. It's delicious. And it was really easy Nothing complicated while we're making the lobsters, which are also not complicated. 
But then last year, my store did not have French bread pizza. So I got stromboli. And it was just my kids. So I that love was easy. stromboli. Which is also really delicious and freezes well. And, you know, uh-huh. even a, a kind of hot pockety one is not terrible. But this was this was a nice kind of fancy frozen grocery store, stromboli. But so this year, we all were able to get back together. Everyone tested before coming over. So far, we all seem to have survived, which is very good. But I had my kid, my two nephews, and my brother-in-law who wanted stromboli. I'm like, I'm not buying boxes and boxes of stromboli. I'm going to make it. Oh my gosh. Luckily, none of them are gluten-free. So I just bought pizza dough, like two pounds of pizza dough. This is... Yeah. You're on the right Roll it out. (laughs) Pizza sauce, pepperoni, roll them up, bake them. It turned out really good. Yeah, they do. And they were all so happy. Uh Uh-huh. And so my... Cheese too, right? And cheese. Yeah, 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 yeah. My kid and the brother-in-law, I think they both ate like half. We did, we served out the first one and then everyone went back for seconds. And at that point, we're just like, whatever, we're just here. You each get another quarter, do with it what you will. So they each had like a full half of a stromboli. And then the nephews who are a little younger didn't quite finish theirs, but they seemed happy. And everyone else had lobsters and we were happy with that. We had some salad. We had Christmas cookies. It was lovely. So nice. Nice. Yeah. And then Christmas Day at my mom's is totally mapped out with the same recipe. We do not change it, which is fine. It's great. But then New Year's Eve happened and I was like, oh my God, like I have no idea what I'm going to make. We don't, and I think some people do have traditions for New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Like we do not, none of that. So it's always. I don't either. Yeah. So, but, so it's, it's freeing because then you can pick whatever you want, but it's also sort of, it feels like it should be something more than a. I agree. Let's roast a chicken or whatever, you know, like something that you would do normally. And then again, like all of the accommodations, my food issues (laughs) in my household, which is fine, but it's like, I can't, I couldn't think of anything. So I was thinking originally I was going to do appetizers, which is what I did last year. But then both of my kids left and went with their (laughs) friends. So it was just the two of us, which made it all sort of odd, but interesting. So I ended up doing a butternut squash risotto by Melissa Clark, which my kids would have probably eaten but not been excited about. And it was so good. And I actually, I have not done risotto stirring it in a long time. I had used my Instapot for the last couple of times I made it. But this one, she has you grate or, you know, use the food processor to grate the um, riso- the butternut squash. So it, And then you cook it in the pan and then add all the other stuff. So I guess it's sort of supposed to melt. I have since, I have lost the greater attachment to my food processor. So I just cut it up really small and that worked fine. It was super soft. And then you top it with lemon and pistachios, Mm. which adds this really interesting flavor and a little bit of crunch. And I think I did a good job. Felt cooked. It felt creamy. I was very excited. We served it with spinach salad with cranberries and spiced pecans and some sort of dressing. And that was a nice contrast. And then for dessert, I made individual like molten chocolate cakes. They weren't exactly, they were, they felt like, they almost felt like cookies. Like they were that kind of puffy, but soft in the inside. Not a ton of flour, but you didn't separate the eggs and whip them. So it wasn't like a souffle, but sort of like a souffle. Like you, 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 like a whoopie pie. Yeah. And then you make a chocolate sauce to put on top. And then, did I say this was in a Jello Lawson recipe? No. Anyway, so it is from her <laughs> quick and easy something uh-huh. or other. You smash up Butterfinger candies and sprinkle it on top. Fun. 
which was really delicious. And I'm not sure if in England they're different than our Butterfingers, because she has a recipe for honeycomb later in the book. And she seems to think that Butterfingers and honeycomb are the same, which I don't think they're exactly the same. I oh, feel no. like, I mean, like making real honeycomb would be not going out and getting a bee, but the candy honeycomb. But it was still really good. So I would probably the next time go and try and find some of the honeycomb. The honeycomb candy? Yeah, the yeah. honeycomb candy. But it does add kind of like a little sparkle and mm-hmm. and excitement and different flavor to the top. So those were pretty delicious. I think Shaw's in West Portal has honeycomb candy if you're on the hunt. Yes. Where else? And one of our delis on Irving Street does oh. too. Yeah. We're fancy out here in the sunset. <laughs> um, but then last night I did have a really good meal. Shakshuka. Julia Tertians, which I've made before and I may have even talked about before. This one was super simple. It was, it's like a side note in her Small Victories book. So it's just canned tomatoes and onions and some, a little bit of jalapeno and cumin. And you saute that and you let it cook down for a bit and then you add the eggs. The only problem is that it's, I could fit six eggs in my pan. I don't think I could have gotten any more. And six eggs, we really needed two per person. So yeah. I'm going to have to experiment with that one. I did find one in the sheet pan suppers book that does 12 because you cook it on a sheet pan and in the oven. So I'm going to have to play around with combining those two recipes for the next time. But everyone seemed happy and we had pita bread and I used some gluten-free pizza crusts for the the gluten-free people and uh, some broccoli. So it was pretty simple, but um, because we were coming back from a soccer game, so I didn't Mm. have a lot of time. So it was nice. Six eggs is like one portion. For yeah, one it was of my really hard enough. It was like, okay, we've got, we all, everyone like inhaled the first serving. And even I was like, okay, that wasn't quite enough. But yeah, <laughs> I will let my, my athletes fight over the other right. two eggs. But they were like, no, we'll, we'll all share. So it was fine. We had some leftovers that they could scrounge. Yeah. So that, that's what was on our table. Did you have anything? Well, when my friend was here, we went through. All of the Christmas cookie recipes, all of them in the entire world. Well done. We went through... There's only one or two, though, so... We went through most of my cookbooks. The New York Times had this, like, 24 days of Christmas cookies that was really fun. Did you see the milk bar one? Oh, no, that was on a TV show. No, I didn't see that one. Uh, But I had the milk bar cookbook. We looked through that. We just... So we had about 20 cookies... That made the final cut that we were interest, even interested mm. in making. We printed out all of those recipes. And then we did five that we really wanted to try. And then a couple others if we had time. One of the ones that made the cut was a chocolate babka rugula. Which neither one of us had ever made. The dough for it was um, like an enriched dough with cream cheese. And it was like a multi, multi, multi-step process. They were super adorable when they were all done. You know, looked like little proper little rugula, and we were very proud of ourselves. Yeah, they were not sweet at all. They were perfect, like a little breakfast cookie with coffee, that kind of thing. Nice. And I will definitely keep those in the repertoire. The other one that we made, we made peanut butter cookies, we made molasses cookies, and we also made like these chocolate vanilla checkerboard cookies. The recipe was so fussy, we were really kicking ourselves. 
You know, because you've got to layer up the dough and then slice it and then chill it. Was the dough fussy or just the directions for making the checkerboards? Well, the single single recipe dough was, like, not worth the effort. I should have tripled Mm. the dough because if you're going to all of this effort, you might as well make 80 of these things. You know, to do all of this and then have, like, 20 measly cookies was... Really like a slap. No, they were tiny little checkerboards, but they were beautiful. (laughs) And we just did. Were they delicious? They were delicious and buttery. And I, there was such little dough to work with that it was hard to keep the margins really tight. And I am kind of not really a perfectionist, but I'm, I'm big on accuracy when it's a visual thing, you know? And so I was very frustrated with myself. Like when you got to the end of this tiny little, it was like an oh, eight inch yeah. log. The, it and was the ends not, are always yeah. wonky anyway. Yeah. So I wish that we had gone bigger. Yeah. And so that one will stay in the repertoire, but I've already made notes to it. Like triple this thing and yeah. just ca- call it good. Because if you're, like I said, if you're putting in that much effort, you want to get. Yeah. It's not like you're going to, it's like chicken soup. You don't make chicken soup for like one portion. Right. You make chicken soup so that you can have it for days. Yes. <laughs> and then I made a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Or actually, it might have been a double batch. And do you know what got eaten most? The chocolate chip cookies were still the crowd-pleasing mm, favorite. They are amazing. <sighs> so Christmas Day was a total bust. Oh. At our house, we had some extended family COVID positive people. So we had already canceled the big Christmas, which we were supposed to host. And then we were still going to do our smaller gathering like we did last year, but we had an inconclusive test in our house. And to be cautious, we just decided that the four of us would isolate until we could get a PCR test and be sure. So do you know what I made for Christmas dinner? What did you make? Turkey nachos. Nice. I love nachos. It. I love it. It was pretty depressing, to be honest with you. I mean, it's fun in theory. I mean, nachos are delicious. Nachos are delicious. And I did rise to the occasion and baked off. Normally, we just do those sugar cookies decorated. Oh, you're with switching the, the nachos. I'm sorry. So <laughs> yes, no, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. Nachos, okay. but for dessert, I still made the traditional Christmas cookies, and the kids decorated them, right. and we ate those after a a gigantic tray of nachos. Nice. So I sort of saved saved the not saved the day, but it was a little bit festive because I oh. made the effort with the with the cookies, and then for one of the Christmas gifts that. I purchased for my husband, purchased times 12 for my husband, was a flight of sardines. Oh. <laughs> so something happened like in October where I'd see this really beautiful tin and I th- and I would think to myself, oh, I'll get this as a stocking stuffer and I can paint the tin because I love to paint food packaging. Yep. So... Onesie, twosie, here, there. I'm down at the ferry building. I find a couple more. I, I'm i out at the Russian store that I like, and I see that one, and I think, I don't know how good it's going to be, but I'll, you know, tuck it into the stocking. And 
And I thought, it's going to be so funny. He's going to open his stocking. There's going to be four tins of sardines. Well, I got home one day and I looked in the, the bag and I had amassed 11 tins of sardines. It's a stocking full of sardines. So I made up this whole matrix for him with like all of the names of the sardine tins and then like a rating and then room to add more. And it turned into this whole funny, I think it's That's a funny awesome. gift. So he gets to do a sardine flight. And I did get some from the fanciest ones were from uh, the Spanish table oh, yeah. over on Clement Street. They were like five times the cost of the, a regular tin of sardines, but they're I like they're really good. grilled baby. Yeah, I can't imagine how good they're going to be. They come in a big round tin. It was pretty. So I'm excited about that. And then for New Year's Day, we kind of did what you did, except uh, paella. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sticking with the I rice. was thinking of that, but since I couldn't add shrimp or sausage or... Chicken or anything, anything else, fun. So, yeah. yeah. Like, why bother? Well, I had some bomba rice because I had gone to Spanish table. I should have picked up some fresh saffron because mine mm. is definitely, it was okay, but it wasn't, it needs to go. What did, what did I put in that? Definitely sausage and chicken. The kids didn't want the shrimp and they were they were sticking around at least for part of the day with us. So I have a paella pan. Oh. But the last time I made paella, we had like eight people and it was, there was mountains of leftovers. Hmm. And this was probably six years ago, the la- the last time that I officially mm-hmm. used this pan. I feel like I need to use this pan more. Yeah. It's so beautiful. There's a resolution. There we go. Well, I thought to myself, that's too big of a pan for the four of us. I'm just going to make this in my big cast iron skillet. So mm-hmm. I get going the artichokes in, all of the vegetables, and, you know, it's all going. And I get the rice in there, and it calls for eight cups of liquid. And I Ooh. thought, I need the big paella pan. And I pulled out the paella pan, and I put it down, and it was way smaller than I had remembered. Put everything into the paella pan. I had that thing Filled to the brim. We ate more than half of it. Wow. I'm not surprised, but well done. It is, well, I do have two ravenous eaters right now. It didn't really have a ton of rice, so it was like mostly mm. chicken and sausage and tons of vegetables. So I'm like really excited to make more paella yeah. because... There's so many recipes, There's too. so many recipes, and I just have to get some fresh saffron and off I go. Yeah. Now the pan's out. The pan's out. It's not, I mean, it's like one of the few things I have in my kitchen that I don't use on a regular basis. So I don't feel terrible about it. Yeah. But happy new year paella. That's my new tradition. I like it. calling it. it. It's a good one. And maybe chocolate chip cookies because who doesn't love a chocolate chip cookie? On the nightstand. All right. I don't know. How many thousand books do you have for us? Probably not as many as you would think. And some of them I'm going to keep really short because they're parts of series and you don't really need to hear the whole thing. So the first one, though, is Light Perpetual by Francis Bufford. Oh. Yes. Did you read it? I didn't read that, but he wrote... What's the other one that he wrote? Something. I don't know. About the Lincoln boy ghost. 
No. The, yeah. No. I don't think so. Yeah. Or New York? Yes. Okay, what was the Lincoln Boy ghost one? Golden Hill. That's not, that's the New York one, which I have not read. Is the other Francis Spooford? Yes. Okay. Do you know which one I'm thinking of with the Lincoln? Lincoln in the Bardo? Yeah, thank you. That's not him. Okay, who's that? George Saunders. Okay. I I think that that's fair confusion. (laughs) What? New York? I don't know why. That's it's something Lincoln about Blackpost? how they write. I always oh, okay. get them confused. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it's um, it's an author confusion for me. Okay, yeah, fair okay. enough. Okay, so Sorry. you've read Golden Hill. I have read I Golden Hill like and Lincoln in the Bardo. Okay, but not Light Perpetual. No, because it's new, isn't it? It's pretty new. May 2021. So fairly new. Fairly yes. new. Anyway, so I really enjoyed it. It is the story of five people starting when they're about five years old and going until they're 80 in a suburb of London. And it it pops in at different moments. So it it has a moment, a section when they're nine years old. And it's just like one moment when they're nine and then a moment when they're 25. And then it kind of Mm. takes moments. So, and it originally, he was inspired by, there was a Woolworths in London that was destroyed by bombs in 1944, so during the war. And all these people were killed and a bunch of kids. And so he started imagining what would happen if they hadn't been killed. And that's kind of how it starts. So it's these specific five kids that it's not real children, but inspired by. So like, what if kids who had lived in this neighborhood hadn't died? What would their lives be like? Which is sort of weird because this is it's ghost just their children, life. just like Lincoln and the Bardo. <laughs> Except that they're like they haven't died, I'm so they're just no. I know, but I was so I really I so I I was expecting kind of a sliding door story, which uh-huh. I guess it is. Except that it's just that they haven't died, so it's just their life. But it's really interesting because he definitely takes it in ways that you would not have expected for all, any of them, really. They all, and they're all just these moments and you, you see them and then you don't know what's happened for the past, whatever, 15, 20 years. He really, I felt like connected with how you feel when you're nine or 25 Mm. or 45. And then you get to like when they're 80 and I noticed that really seemed like the future to me because all of the other times is pretty much lives I've been, you know, emotional points in my life that I have experienced, but I haven't experienced being an 80 year old. So it was really beautiful as a book. There's not really a plot except that it's their life in these moments. Um, interesting. It's really interesting. I'm my sister-in-law read it as with her book club and there seemed to be kind of a she said I think she said they had a really good discussion but she wasn't like no one was quite sure how they felt about it, but it's it's just very it's just all about emotions and mm. and life. That one, it's, you know, it's not like a mystery or a thriller or a, you know, plot driven book at all, but it's really, it, it was, it was interesting. It was kind of a nice end of the year sort of book, mm. I think. And then I had a bunch of series books. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. So it's both not to spoil and also not to bore you too much. So the first was The Last Graduate by Naomi Novik. I love the first book in the series. This one was also really good. This takes place in a magic school, but it is super <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> the, the heroine is really snarky. When she was born, her great-grandmother, who's a seer, 
said she was gonna destroy the world basically and so she tries to keep that quiet because people tend they, to they frown upon they do world yeah destroyers. so and she doesn't want to destroy the world and her mom is like a healing guru magician kind of thing there's all these monsters monsters are always trying to kill teenagers because they have lots of magic power but not many magic skills so they're kind of easy to get whereas an adult wizard can pretty much defend themselves so she's in the school this is her senior year the first book was her junior year so there's lots of adventures and you know it's it's i think it's listed i've seen it listed both as ya and as adult books it definitely is a little bit of an easier read but there's not as and there's there's angst but it's not like annoying angst yeah so i really like this series and i thought it was just gonna be the two books there is a cliffhanger and there's apparently gonna be a book three so I am in for the long haul. I read October Day number 14, A Killing Frost by Seanan McGuire. And I just downloaded book 15. So I'm almost caught up on that series. Fairies, mysteries, very exciting stuff. I highly recommend. And then I read A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Moss, which is the second book in a series. The first one, it's all, it's fairies. It's kind of high fantasy. The first one is kind of a Beauty and the Beast retelling. And then at the end, things switch, and and I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, so I wasn't really going to continue with the series. But then I saw a bunch of reviews where people adored the second and third books. They're like, the first one's good, the next two are just amazing. She does great things with the story and the characters, and there's all these big revelations and, and things that you should really get into. So I said, okay, I'm going to read it. So the second one I think I did enjoy more. I think overall the writing is a little bit too melodramatic for me. Again, with the, the angsty business that is kind of, I don't have patience for. But I really like the series. Or I like the, I really like the plot. So I'm debating on book three. I do kind of want to see how she gets out of the, the entanglements she's gotten her characters into. There's a big war brewing in the fairy realm. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway. I, I sometimes I just love the But you read Dune, so... I did read Dune. You did. And that's I got my husband similar. a Dune t-shirt for Christmas. Aww. And I was so proud of myself. And I just didn't get the credit that I deserved for that. I <laughs> that's still a good think, idea. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and then on audio, I have been listening to The Lyman Chronicles by Dorothy Dunnett, which is one of my, if not my most favorite book series ever. I had listened to the first one many years ago. Like, I mean, I've read them all. And then I started listening to them, but I don't think the audiobooks were available. They certainly weren't available at the library. And even on Amazon or on Audible, it was tough to find. But I think in like 2018, 2019, they came out with a full set of audio and it's all on Libby now. So I was like, oh, I'm doing this because I love these books. Her writing is amazing. The story is super adventure takes place in all over Europe in the mid 1500s. So like Mary <laughs> Queen of Scots. And so I'd listened, so I'd, uh, I'd listened to book one a while ago. So I just went ahead to book two and then book three, book three, there is some stuff that does not stand up to the test of time. I'm like, mm, probably this wouldn't get written right now. I have some issues with it, but the adventure is still great. Lyman is fantastic. So I'll probably keep listening to those. And if you don't want to get involved in a whole series of hers, you can read the King hereafter which is her retelling of Macbeth and has completely ruined me for any historical accuracy in Macbeth Ooh. and has one of the best endings in any book. I cry every time. So then a couple of mysteries. 
First was an elderly lady must not be crossed by Helene Turston. That's on my list. Have you read the first one? No. Oh, you should read the first one. Ooh. There's a first one. An elderly lady something. Anyway, this is is the second in the series. I loved the cover because it's like sort of cross-stitched. And that's what... I totally picked it for the cover. Oh, yeah. But it's it's in my holds. I would read the first one first. Because it'll make slightly more sense. So the author writes mystery novels in Swedish, I think. And so these started off as a series of like Christmas short stories. And it's an old lady. She lives like 80. She lives by herself in this apartment in, uh, I forget, some town in Sweden. And she keeps killing people. She's basically a serial killer, but no one suspects her because she's she's an old lady. lady. And she mostly goes after bad people. (laughs) Rapists and murderers. She's like Dexter style. (laughs) She is. And it's sort of on accident, but... uh, So anyway, so the final one in the first set of books, um, there's a cop from the regular series that the author writes who is starting to suspect her, but there's no evidence. And so this is kind of picks it up. This one is less a series of short stories and more of a... More of a... A narrative. More... Yeah. Yeah. It's still vignettes. And she's like... She's on a she's on a plane and she's remembering some of her past murders. <laughs> so this one I felt a little less compassionate towards her. First one, you're like, oh, how cute. She's killing all these people. And this one, you're like, mm, I don't know if I agree with this choice that she's making here. <laughs> So, but it's still, it's still, it's still an amusing little light kind of mystery. And it's pretty short. It's not, not terribly long. So, and the cover is adorable. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) And then Envious Casca by Georgette Heyer, which was written, I think in the forties. I love Georgette Heyer, but I've only read her romance novels. She is a fantabulous Regency romance writer from long ago, right? But they're still great. i binged on her several summers ago and then someone mentioned that she has this series of mystery novels and this one takes place during christmas it's like an english country manor house family is gathering and someone ends up dead so locked room mystery the police come the scotland yard guy comes it was adorable i mean you know yeah (laughs) for a mystery (laughs) death but so that one was really good as well then some romances, of course. The first one is less of a romance and more of a historical historical fiction. That's the word I'm looking for. The Widow Queen by Elzbieta Cherzinska, translated by Maya Zakaswitska-Pym. They're both Polish, so apologize for my pronunciation. So The Widow Queen is first, actually it's going to be the first in this series. It's the story of Sigurd the Haughty. That's how it's translated, usually into English. In this book, it gets translated to Sigrid the Proud, which is a little Mm. bit of an interesting difference. She was a Polish princess. Well, so there's three historical women that are mentioned, but like some of them are mentioned in the sagas, so it's not quite sure how real they are. But there's other historical records they're sort of mentioned in. So it's this interesting mix of historical, like actual historical fiction and actual historical fact, and then what the author has, all her fiction that she has added in. So she's a Polish princess who married the king of Sweden and then turned down the king of Norway and married the king of Denmark, who later became the king of England for a brief moment and was mother of one of another king of England. So this takes her up through her marriage to the king of 
she marries Sweden and he dies and then marries the king of Denmark. And he hasn't conquered England yet. So, And you also get a lot of the point of view. It's her point of view, but it's also the various kings and her brother, who's the king of, who's the first king of Poland. So you get all of this European politics and Viking battles. And so it was, it was quite exciting. Excellent. But you know a lot about this time period. Yes. Even non yes. this but less, book notwithstanding. Yeah. More the the Viking and the English stuff, but less... Um, but, like, they're going into Poland and the Holy Roman Empire, and that is definitely not where my knowledge base is. So that part was really interesting. There's, like, another... There's a Holy Roman Empress whose husband dies, and she's the regent for her son for, like, 20 years. Um, and you never hear about her. Yeah. And you really don't hear about Sigrid that much. And that was kind of why she wrote the book, for all, like, the princesses that are just... And, you know, the princess of Poland married right. George the king, and you never hear anything else about her. So I like that. So there is some romance in there, but it's not a romance book. Unlike the other two that I read, <laughs> The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton, which is a series of lady pirates. Oh, shenanigans, uh, for there's sure. There's so many shenanigans. <laughs> so our heroine, so it's kind of Victorian England, but... There was a woman who figured out how to make buildings fly. Oh. So instead of boats, they have houses that they <laughs> fly around in. And they prey on rich people mostly and each other. And <laughs> our heroine is, she is a junior member of the society. And she's waiting to become a senior member. And she feels like she's done everything that she needs to do. She's robbed a bank. And she's, you know, knows how to control the, the house flying and all this stuff. But they won't ask her to be at the grown-up table. But now one of the other members has sent an assassin after her. So she figures, oh, I have made it. The assassin, of course, is very cute and is not actually an assassin. And there's all these adventures going on. So that was super adorable. Good romance. Very cute. And super snarky. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. And then Isn't It Bromantic by Lisa K. Adams, which is the fourth in the Bromance Book Club series, which is a group of guys mostly athletes. There's a country music star. They live in Nashville and they have a book club where they all read romance books to help them become better husbands and partners to the women in their lives. It's adorable. This one focuses on the Russian hockey player who has had a marriage of convenience with his childhood best friend for like six years and things happen. There's shenanigans. There's, there's an underground cheese shop with like a secret password we to need get an it. underground cheese I know, shop. it's hilarious. So this is an adorable series. And the guys are all in touch with their emotions and they support each other and <laughs> they're great friends and it's just so sweet. And the Russian is fantastic. He gets injured right at the beginning, so there wasn't enough hockey playing for me, but that's okay. <laughs> There's so many funny scenes in these books. They're really sweet. It's the Bromance Book Club series. All right, then we get into the, the fantasy sci-fi section. We're almost there, people. Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Clune, who wrote By the Cerulean Sea, which was very sweet, and we both read. Both read and it. Enjoyed both it. really enjoyed it. Yeah. So this one was good. Very similar style. I thought it was going to be a continuation. It's not at all. It's a whole separate book. It is also definitely not going to be for everyone because it deals with death. Like, that's the whole premise. He wrote this as a way of dealing with his own grief. So, and he puts a very nice warning at the beginning, but That's yeah. a good 
I'm steering clear of those books yeah, for I a was, little while more. Yeah, I would not read this book. So our main guy has died. He was a lawyer. He wasn't very nice. The Reaper shows up to bring him to the ferryman who will help him on his way. There's some shenanigans. There is growth. There is love. And it ends up, I think, if you are in a place where you could read this kind of book, it's a really interesting, beautiful mm-hmm. book. Much like the Cerulean Sea. Lots of emotions and, and things in there. Um but again, definitely not for everyone. But I did, I did like it. I was I wasn't sure at the beginning that I was going to be into it, um, but at the end, I really I liked it a lot. And then a spindle splintered by E. Alex Harrow, who wrote the witches and the Ten Thousand Doors of January. Uh, this was super short. It is a retelling of the Sleeping Beauty myth. This girl gets swooped into a Sleeping Beauty story. And it's the retelling of the Sleeping Beauty myth. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. And it's short. So that was nice. And I think she's going to continue the series with these characters as well, but mm-hmm. in, in different. One of stories. your earlier authors, whose name is escaping me, Naomi Novik. Oh, yeah, she does some yeah. story. She um, did like a Rapunzel and a, like the retelling. Yeah. Fairy tale retelling, yep. I guess. Spinning silver and. Yeah. There's another one uh, that was also really good and was a lesser known. It was like a Polish witch retelling thing. Yeah. She's known for those too. Yeah. I really like her as well. But no, this one this one was quite good. And then Light from Uncommon Stars by Riki Aoki. You are going to love this description. This was a fantastic book. I think it was nominated for Hugo. Maybe it won. I forget. I'm already Um, writing it down. She hasn't even told me anything about it. Oh, I'm not sure that you would love the book, but you're going to love my description. Oh, okay. Tell me. (laughs) You might. It's a really good book. So Shizuka Satomi is a violin teacher. She has sold her soul to the devil for violin powers, but she has made another deal where if she provides seven other souls, then she will get hers back. So she is, she has... Provided six, and she's looking for the seventh, but she only has a year left. Katrina Wynn is a transgender homeless runaway with amazing violin skills. And Shizuko thinks, oh, perfect. This is my seventh. Let's let's do this. Lan Tran is an alien general who has bought a donut shop. Okay. <laughs> you had and me. And brought her you family. Until Alien Donut Shop. Yeah, that one I'm not quite sure how that fits in exactly, but it's really good. Um, She has brought her family escaping from the Galactic Empire. And it it all kind of fits together. There's romance, there's art, there's there's how can you save yourself and, you know, a lot of... uh, what does it mean to be yourself and, and, you know, finding your family, finding your found family. It was really beautiful and really interesting, as you can tell from the list of characters. Totally. <laughs> the whole time I'm reading, I'm thinking Courtney is going to die when she hears this description. And then my final one is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo. Again, a super short one. The second one is out already, and apparently there's going to be at least three books. I don't think they're all out, but they're they're a circular series, so you can enter anywhere, and they all kind of connect. The main character seems to be a cleric uh, called Chi, who 
is traveling around and the Empress uh, just recently died. And so they are collecting information about before they were before the Empress was the Empress, which that information had been shut down while she was Empress to preserve the mystery of the Imperial rule. In this one, the cleric is talking to one of the Empress's maid slash best friend and you find out all the history of before she became the Empress. So it was really, it was well written. It was a cool style. I'm really interested to see what happens in the other books. Uh, like what the focus is for the other stories. That one I picked up because it was nominated for a Hugo as well. And mm. One of the few that I hadn't read. So I was like, oh, I should probably read that because all the other ones that I've read, I really enjoyed that were in that list. And that is it. Bravo. Thanks. You did some reading. I did. But again, a lot of them were like 120 pages, right. little short things. Yeah. So yeah, I still read them, but they mm-hmm. weren't like 500 page. I have four nice. for you. And when I talk about... You had a guest too. I had a guest and I also have something else going on, um, which we'll talk about on Horizon. Okay, so The Nesting Dolls. This is by Alina Adams, and it is like a proper nesting doll. Three generations Mm. of women. And the first story takes place in like the 1930s during the Stalinist, you know, gulag regime system. And the choices that that woman makes obviously have ramifications throughout the generations. And then it jumps to 1970 in Odessa. It's a Jewish family and the women aren't allowed to study or I'm sorry, the Jewish people aren't allowed to go to university. Mm. They make some exceptions, but it's like impossible to get around that. And so they immigrate to the United States, to Brighton Beach in New York. And then the modern-day present daughter is sort of faced with all of the different moving pieces mm. of her mother and grandmother and then her own stuff and what it, what it is to be an immigrant in New York and have the expectations of the mothers and grandmother behind them. And it's, I, I really wanted to love this because the, the nesting doll metaphor is so beautiful. And I wish that I did, but it was sort of missing something for me. Hmm. And I can't put my finger on exactly what it was. That's too bad. It sounds like it would be. Yeah. I think it had incredible potential. And I don't know. It would be like a three and a half, four star. Then I read Somebody Loves You by Mona Arshi. This is about an immigrant family with Indian roots who now live in or outside of London. The book is written in like small snippets or vignettes that feel, when you're reading it, it feels really autobiographical. Hmm. The chief narrative being that her mother has a mental illness and how she navigates this world as an immigrant with a a sort of untethered mother, I think was what what I walked with when I read the book thought it was really good. Then I read These Vanished Days by Susanna Kearsley. She wrote, I read a bunch of her books. She wrote the ones about the time traveler on the coast of Scotland 
and oh yeah, yeah. I'm forgetting okay. the other books. Yeah, yeah. So this one is not a part of that series, but I think it's a part of a different one. This is about 1707 Edinburgh. There's a lot of politics going on, and the narrative sticks with this one woman who, when you enter the novel, she is trying to petition for her husband's wages. He's like lost at sea or gone missing or mm-hmm. something like that. And so she she petitions for his wages as his widow. And even though she has a marriage certificate, they're questioning her petition. And so there's some legal stuff happening. And then the, the time shifts start mm-hmm. to happen where she looks back or somebody else will tell a piece of oh. the narrative from before. And it gets really interesting oh, because you really there's. Like her, I do author. like her, yeah. and how these this collection of people come together, and there's sort of like this ragtag bunch. Boy, I don't want to give anything away. So, I loved this book up until like the last fifteen pages, oh. and then I was like, um, what is going on? <laughs> All of the sudden. Something is revealed, and I, to this day, to this moment, have no idea. I think I know what happened, but I'm not quite sure. So, if somebody out there could please read These Vanished Days by (laughs) Susanna Kearsley and call me up so that we can talk about this, I'm desperate. (laughs) I feel like I need to read it now. You may just. And I, I kind of like that I'm not sure in a way, because are we, I mean, come on, Ancestry.com does not provide a ton of closure. And I feel like it's kind of like that. Like maybe, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know how else to describe it. I'm more confused now, but I'm okay. intrigued. Then I read Agatha of Little Neon. I don't know if anybody has heard about this. I don't know where I heard about this. This is relatively present day. It is about a young nun who enters the vocation in like upstate New York. And she is, her mother died when she was young. And so she has this really tight bond with three other sisters in her convent. And then the mother, the mother superior of the convent. But at this point in time, which is, I think it start, it opens maybe in the like late 80s, early 90s, the church is going bankrupt. And so they ship the sisters off to this like halfway house so that they can run the halfway house mm. in Rhode Island. And the halfway house is called Little Neon. They get all four sisters for the bargain price of one because they can only afford one. I don't know how all of, I don't understand church finance well apparently they don't either (laughs) they they don't either and when you realize why so this unspools in a surprising way actually because she she has some different reasons for being a nun part of it is that she lost her mother she's longing for the sisterhood she also had unexplored personal stuff that she didn't really want to ever confront And so when she's placed in Rhode Island, she's like, I don't know, maybe mid to late 20s. 
and they have her teaching math at a nearby school and they donate her salary back to the church. And there are little pieces of it like that that infuriate me how this, and this is like totally, I own this struggle because I am a practicing Catholic, but the women of the church do profound and amazing work. And it is often relegated to the very, very behind the scenes. And not that they want credit for it, but there's like no recognition ever. This was an interesting nugget. They weren't really sharing with the people in the halfway house stories about what was going on with the church at this time, mm-hmm. which full was fully when priests were being accused of sexual misconduct in all kinds of different dioceses. And she puts it together like, that's why they're bankrupt. And then she is irate. And that's when I really loved this book because she's not making any excuses for it. And I really like that. That sounds really interesting. (laughs) I wrote down in my notes, priests, what the heck? (laughs) Because I didn't want to say anything else on the air. This is a great story about sisterhood, friendship, family. This individual character is awesome. It is a funny book, if that can be said. And I think that it's it's worth a read. It, cool. It's my first book of the year, and I'm really delighted. Nice. Yeah, it sounds interesting. It's not light, though. It sounds, you know. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the the alien <laughs> donut alien donut shop. Alien yep. donut shop. Yeah. And the, Super. The violin coach from hell. All right, on the horizon. So for knitting goals, well, so last year I knit fifteen thousand and twenty-four yards in thirty-one projects. Which is actually down like 2,000 yards from the previous year. Oh my gosh, you're so slacking off. I am. I think it's because I did so much reading. Okay. That's my that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. My stash amount was up 3,948 yards. <laughs> so, But I did not finish those two sweaters that I was working on. So I think in January, probably if I finish those, that'll get me back on an even keel. I do feel like overall that helped with my thought process. There was definitely a bunch of binge buying in December, mm, November for birthday month. I kind of own that. And and I like I feel like at least I was sort of thinking about it and I got to make a nice Excel spreadsheet. So that was enjoyable. <laughs> so we'll see. So I'll probably try and, and keep doing that this year. Um, my goals for last year was to get my whips under control, do some charity knitting and gift knitting. I think I started off pretty well on my whips. I had, I pulled a bunch of them out of the drawer of doom at the beginning of the year and got those knitted up. There were some socks and so that was, that worked out okay. That kind of fell by the wayside as I got more into projects that I wanted to be knitting and had various knit alongs and sock madness, I think was a problem as well. I mean, I enjoyed that. It was fun, but it did not help with my whips. Uh, I don't think I did any charity knitting. The, the charity that I was donating to wasn't accepting hats um, because of COVID. And then she's just found the whole thing. She's not able to keep up with it. Um, and COVID is still ongoing, so it's hard to find places to take the hat, so it is shut down. So I need to find another place to donate. So that is kind of a project that I wanted to do. And then I did some gift knitting, but I wasn't particularly, I didn't really plan for it. So, so this year, 
I felt like my goals last year were vague. Like, oh, I'll kind of do this, I'll kind of do that. So I wanted to come up with really specific things that would make my goals happen, but were actual quantifiable okay. plans. So plan is to use up three of my sweater stashes. So not to buy more sweater. I mean, I'll probably still, let's be real here. We're going, hopefully, going to Stitches West. I'm sure sweater yarn buy will happen, but I want to use three of the stashes that I have. I want to finish up three whips, works in progress, and to use up three club kits. Is that a club kit? Which that you is just... a club kit. Okay. Which will probably, and so that would totally count. This is the Neighborhood Fiber Company. It's the, the 15th anniversary club. We've been getting them. This is the third one. They come every other month. So I still have the other two. I have my maid here from Sincere Sheep. And it's all yarn. It's just gorgeous and I love it. And they often come with patterns or, you know, pattern codes. So it's all stuff that I'm really excited to knit. I just haven't. So that is my goal. And three is just a nice number. So I have three goals of doing three things. I haven't decided my stance on double dipping. It'll probably depend on, like, does a club kit count as a whip? Because I started one of my club kits from last year. So we'll see. Probably depends on how many things I actually get finished. Okay. So those are my goals. Okay. I am purposely not revisiting my goals from last year because, well, I kind of know what they were in the back of my head, but I had a significant number of failures. And It was a tough year. And I know that people don't like the word failure, but for me, it was a really, it was a really tough year. Like I bailed on my 100-day project and several other things. <laughs> However... I am on my, my carrying on my upward spiral. And I did have some really good moments. Like I finished a couple, like finished up, filled up a couple sketchbooks that felt really good. I am painting outside a lot more. That feels really good. I did a whole entire calendar with all original art pretty much. And that feels great. Going into this year, I am structuring my, I'm not even really thinking of it as a goal. I want to be more playful. And it's not like I'm picking one word and sticking to it. But right now, that's how I feel. Although this doesn't really jive with playful, but I'm hoping it comes through in the art. I looked into taking some classes. Hmm. Curiosity feeds me fuels my creativity and I know that about myself and having learning new things I love that there is an endless supply of new things for me to learn like I will never be an expert at anything and I'm cool with that and so I looked into taking a ceramics class and I looked into taking some painting classes and given the current pandemic climate a lot of things are still just online only and then I really delved into the that a little bit more, like, well, what's another, what are workarounds for this, etc. And I have decided, so part of my like professional life um, after between college and motherhood was curriculum development. I have some experience with building curriculum. And I realized that I can build myself a curriculum for the thing that the, I know that what I don't know, you know? (laughs) And so I am building myself a landscape painting curriculum 
cool. and the still life painting curriculum. And I'm stopping there because I'm super tempted to do all the things. Yeah. But I have been spending time looking at materials, going down to the main branch. There might be a couple little classes that I take, but the whole goal behind it is to just paint and to show up. It's kind of scary because I don't know if I'm going to be good at this and this has happened before and failure feels terrible and all of those things. But I'm also trying to find the... Like just yesterday, I was thinking, I need to learn how to paint fog. It's foggy here all of the time. (laughs) And then this morning when I went into the studio to pick up my notes for this podcast, I looked out the window and I thought, all I need for today's landscape is a blank sheet of paper because it was like totally whited out and maybe a little like gray and titanium and some zinc white paint and I could paint this landscape because it was so crazy. All to say, I'm on a little discovery mission. I'm, I want to talk more about these curriculums because I know people will be curious. I'm also trying to make them successful for myself. Like what would be, what would feel like a complete Mm. landscape class? You know, I'm never going to be an expert in that, but like what would feel like an accomplishment? How many sketches and paintings do I need to make? How many times do I need to go outside, you know, for painting? (laughs) But building it in a way that helps augment what I know and builds into what I don't know and leaves me feeling a sense of accomplishment. So I'm calling it do it myself art school or something like that. That sounds fun. Yeah. So that's on the easel. All right. On the table. Last year, I wanted to explore grains. And I started off doing that. I had a grain of the month. That's right. That was so fun. It was grain of the month. And then I kind of ran out of grains. (laughs) I mean, because some of them are, we just can't do. I mean, not really in any great detail because they are of the gluten family. But that was fun. That was a good one. And then for Christmas, my parents got me a book, a cookbook called Grist which looks at whole grains and has a lot of information about the grains themselves, including whether or not they are gluten-free. So I now have a whole cookbook of additional grain recipes, and it's got all of the wonky ones. It's got amaranth in there and... Excellent. Teff and like all sorts of stuff. So I do plan to dive back into that because I have been pretty much holding firm with the rice and the occasional polenta hitting my table. And then Simplify was my other goal. I feel like that hasn't really happened. I mean, somewhat, because I had some nights where it's just like roast some vegetables, throw them on the table, let people serve themselves. So a little bit, but that was, again, it was a fairly open-ended goal, kind of like read more, right? Like, what does that (laughs) even mean? That doesn't mean anything. So again, I I went with threes, although I only have two goals here because I could not think of a third one. So I'm still working on that. Maybe I can work in my three grains somehow. I want to make gluten-free pie crust three times because I have not done that. I thought that would be fun to try. And then I want to do three Great British baking recipes. I haven't quite figured out how that's going to work. I love that one. But I thought it'd be fun because some of them, I mean, some of them are just super crazy and I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. And I also need to find like a list so I don't have to go back and re-watch all of the episodes but there was one it was like the queen of desserts or something that i thought sounded really good some of them seem really doable 
I think I'm envisioning mostly like the technical ones, the technical challenges that are sort of classic. Well, not all of them are classic. Some of them are wonky, but anyway, so three of those recipes just for fun. That's such a great, that's such a great idea. You can steal it. No, no, Or join me. Maybe I'll join you. Yeah. And that's all I got. Well, last year I wanted to make mustard and I never did. Oh. (laughs) Another, oh, I cooked a lot this year. Yeah. And I have used so, so many. I've touched everything in my kitchen. That's good. (laughs) Even the paella pan, which came out at the 11th hour. And I feel like one of the things that I considered was doing a spice of the month club. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because one of the things that I loved still about the Tuesday nights was... Yeah. That different flavor palette, and it made cooking dinner a little more exciting. At least for the next, I don't know, five months, it feels like that's where I'll be. Oh, cool. So I might try one of the ones, I talked about several of them in our gift episode, like right. the burlap and barrel one, I think, is the one I, I might try, or picante post or something like that. So They're in our show notes. Yep. So maybe Spice of the Month Club. That sounds fun. And and maybe pull the paella pan out more yeah, than once. Paella and, of the month. And we get to do, you know, the sardine flight. Yeah. <laughs> or well, my husband does. I feel like he'll share at least one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of sardines. All right. On the nightstand. Yeah. Last year, more thoughtful, maybe do a reading challenge. None of those happened. Um, I did read, I think, 178 books. So I feel like... The goal is fairly <laughs> silly. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I read a lot. I mean, so what I went with this year was, I'm not trying to read more, but I'm trying to expand what I am reading because there are definitely genres that I am not hitting and kinds of books. Oh, and I, and last year I added on more books in translation. So I, I did have a couple in there. I don't know that it was more than in previous years. I definitely wasn't picking them just because of that which was my original plan was to kind of go through maybe like the Booker Translation Awards and and read some of those. And that didn't happen. It was kind of like, oh, look, an elderly lady is a translated book. Sweet. I get to count it. But it wasn't a thoughtful process. So, so I did. So I put on there three books in translation just to keep that kind of thing going and to try and really maybe actually this year, try and find them on purpose and read those three nonfiction books. I may have hit that before, but again, it's kind of like my book club reads it, so I read it because I sort of have to. I mean, you know, you know, you know what I mean. But to be a little more thoughtful and try and, and, and get some more nonfiction in there. And three classics. Because mm. I was sort of inspired by the ones you've been reading. And and there's definitely lots of books out there, like Anna Karenina I have never read. What? With, yeah, right? Let's read so, Anna Karenina. I would reread it. It's yeah. one of my favorites. So, okay, cool. But those are... <laughs> Often very large books, so we'll yeah. have to, I will have to plan. I'll probably, what I'll have to do is just put them on my library list, and then when they come in, that'll make me read them. And there's but. a particular translation that I would recommend. Oh, okay. So we, we can chat about that. All right. Cool. So those are my goals for, for reading. I counted yesterday that I read, and I forgot to write down the number, but it was, I think, 112. Wow. That's a lot. Which is a lot for me. It's more and than two a week. It is, and I painted less this year. So I'm okay if I read less next year and yep. paint more because 
the painting definitely fuels fuels me. And I think, you know, while I'm in this early stage of devouring material about landscape painting and still life painting, um, it's hard to have an audiobook going. However, I did come across a list of fiction, great fiction about painters or great fiction about artists. And I thought it'd be, I ordered a couple of those and I thought those would be fun yeah. to work in. And there's a new book out right now called Still Life by Sarah Winman, Winman or something like that, that made me think of it. That's what mm-hmm. gave me the idea. I have been pretty happy with the material that I've been reading. I'm not sure that I'm looking to like branch into a new genre or anything like that. But I did start that new reading journal. Oh, yeah. The modern Mrs. Darcy one. Well, I was going to try that one, but it only holds 100 books. Oh, right. So I found an old journal, an old journal that has, you know, 300 blank pages or whatever. And I thought from here on out, I'll keep it all in one place and maybe I'll add like the several years worth that I've kept track of in the back or something like that so that I can have, it's not searchable, but it is all in one place. And I often forget the names of books or confuse authors sometimes. So Or read two books by the same author at the same time. And anyway, so I, I think I've been really happy with how the reading stuff has, has been going and I'm excited to read Anna Karenina with you this year and keep doing that. I love having Hoopla on in the background if it works for what I'm doing in the studio. Yeah. But I'm also A-OK if I, you know, did 20 more paintings and 20 less books. Not that that's an equivalency, but... Right. Yeah. No, that's good. That I mean, if you're happy with how things are going, that's good to recognize as well, I think. Yeah. And I think I will share more of the books that I'm using for this do-it-myself curriculum. Oh, yeah. That was helpful. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think Helpful in Christmas shopping for my husband. (laughs) I think people... I've gone through a lot of different books. I think people might get a kick out of it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that was a lot of chatting, but, you know, we did skip an episode, so... This is like a bonus episode. Right. So um, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome to... Oh, my God. How do I do this? Episode 81. (laughs) Excellent. Starting over. We'll leave that for the blooper reel, folks. Hello. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.